Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This week we have Alice Gretchen, who is um, an actor who has become quite an advocate for helping people who are coming out of religion. Uh, she's got a, a, a whole thing called Dare to Doubt, which is how I came across her. Um, and we have a great chat about the process of her deconstruction, her loss of faith, um, and also the process of her helping other people who are going through similar things. We talk about all sorts of great stuff, therapy and, and different resources that are out there for people. It's a great conversation. So let's get started. I hope you enjoy it. Hello. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good. Let me make my background normal. I was, I was, was going to say, this is different. <laughs> yeah, I was recording. Uh, I do a Dungeons and Dragons stream. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, earlier this morning we were shooting D&D and that background was was perfect for what we were doing Seat then. setting. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. Hi. Nice hey. to meet you. It's great to meet you. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's, it's not quite the same as an otherworldly atmosphere, is it? Just back into reality, you know? No, I, the, just, one, of, one of the guys I just interviewed, um, he like had some sort of virtual background, but he must have had a green screen or something because like it was like crisp how it worked and it was like a luxurious apartment or something. And I was like, dude, your apartment. And he's like, it's not my apartment. I'm like, did it seamless? Like it was, it was really impressive. So yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> oh Whereas, man, I should I should do that, or just get know, like right? some, some nice like homey background that's not so dark. I'm in I'm in this um basement office, so there's a little bit okay. of natural light that comes in, but not much. So I have my little um my little ring, light, ring light of yeah yeah. yeah. It's nice. It's I'm so always nice. fighting that. I've got a ring light over there and I've got like my phone like stamped onto a wall with light, but like my glasses, it's such a pain in the ass when you've got lighting. And I mean, you'll notice filming and stuff like that. The lighting is just like a crazy world. And when you don't actually know what you're doing, oh, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I honestly, sure. most people For listen sure. to the podcast. Very few people ever watch the videos on YouTube anyway. Like, so I don't really care. So don't worry too much. Okay. Awesome. How nice. much time have is you the, got? Have you got a decent the, amount of time or what, what kind of time are we going to have to um, make sure we wrap up by? Usually we kind of just flow and see what happens, but um, I want to yeah, make sure we kind of work with where you're I allotted, um, I allotted until about 6.30 my time, so like two hours, uh, just because then that's usually my, my dinner time. Um, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, well, we'll try and make sure we wrap up by then. So. Okay. Super awesome. early where you are? Uh, no, it's super late. It's like, yeah, half past midnight. So oh, I, okay. my life is working with America. So I, I'm always up really okay. late. It's just what I do. So <laughs> yeah, I'm used to like waking up at like <laughs> 1030 in the morning and my wife's like half of her day is gone. Um, and so, and then when she goes to bed early, I'm like, okay, back to work. So it's just kind of the balance yeah. of working all over the world. So yeah cool yeah yeah well thank you so much for coming on i'm like really excited because i like stumbled across your account i had no idea who you were and i absolutely loved the stuff you were posting your stories stuff you're posting um and i was like this is an awesome person but it's, it's kind of a, i guess you do actually say who you are in your bio but i'm like it's an anonymous account in a sense of it's just dare to doubt i don't know who this is i don't know 
uh, off the bat, if you're male, if you're female, you know, where from in the world you're from. And, and I kind of like that when I'm first introduced to someone, you know what I mean? Like where you're just like, yeah. who is this yeah. person? I'm just going to like the content for what it is. Um, and so I'm really excited to meet the person behind the veil. I've not really done much to kind of explore who you are. I, I, I did notice that, you know, I can click on your personal profile and go, oh, okay. Oh, you're, you're in acting, you know, like you've got a whole world going on beyond this one part that I know of. Um, and so I thought it'd be great to kind of explore that, uh, explore maybe some of your journey, because it sounds like you've probably had quite a journey. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Thank um, you. But do you want to kind of introduce maybe um, who you are uh, and, and what you're about, what, maybe what you're doing and focusing on these days? Yes. Um, so my name is Alice Gretchen. It's pronounced just like the girl's first name, even though it's spelled with a, a CZ in there. Um, and uh, yeah, so so Dare to Doubt is my, my passion project, I guess you could say. Um, my primary uh, career that I've had for my adult life, which I've been very fortunate to have, has been it, acting in TV and film. So that um, I started doing that when I was 17. And um, I'm 34 now, so it's like it's half, your half life. my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, half my life. Um, yeah, and and uh, I also love to write. Um, I'm working on a book that's hopefully going to be published next year. I hesitate to to say any dates or firm <laughs> things. But yeah, like it's um, I, I guess like acting, writing, and dare to doubt are my three main. I mean, things and and like I said, shooting uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I play Dungeons and okay, Dragons with yeah, all nice. girls group. Yeah, and we stream on on Twitch. So okay. shout out to Girls Got Glory. Follow Girls Got Glory if you like. If okay, you like nice. playing D. I'll, uh, I'll stick that in the show notes. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, me, yeah. me and my friends play Dungeons and Dragons quite a bit, and we haven't obviously since the pandemic. We've been doing a few other things on tabletop simulator and stuff but we haven't really uh ex explored doing oh, mostly because i'm like the, the the dungeon master usually we bounce between a couple of us and i just don't have time like the amount of time invested in like kind of creating a whole world oh the time it's, it's just so not something i have right now yeah so yeah but i do miss it I, I miss that the fun that you get to explore in these worlds of like just taking on a complete alter ego and being which i'm always i i don't know if there's something really um scary that I always end up being like a very dark, chaotic evil, even when I try not to be. <laughs> I don't, that's kind of disturbing to me. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. It's probably quite scary. Um, <laughs> very much related to that. I feel like like this new campaign we started. I very deliberately am trying to make her good, but it's just boring playing the good hero. We have character. to do that in real life, right? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I feel like um. I don't know, but whenever I steer it too dark, I, I get quickly, quickly reined in. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. so everyone in, else in is kind of holding fun. me back. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I try to go for chaotic neutral. Um, okay. So not so much chaotic evil, but, but my character now, actually my past two characters have been chaotic neutral because I feel like that gives me a little bit of leeway. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I find it really fun to play the villain. And I think that one of the, cool things about Dungeons and Dragons is it's been such a, it can be such an outlet for letting out, pe people use it for all sorts of things. Some people use it for sure. therapy, like to heal and have vengeance on the people who wronged them. Some people use it to explore their evil side, which we all have. And I think denying that is is yeah. ignorant um, and, and dangerous. So I yeah. think it's a, 
I don't know. I, I've learned so much about myself playing D and D um, and mm. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And, and, and for people from, um, certainly my background, um, not something that you were allowed to explore overly as, uh, growing up and like, that's very much something I've only played around with for like maybe the last five years. Like there was definitely yeah. no room to kind of uh, go into any of that. And all my friends are kind of like, um, kind of post kind of Christian evangelical charismatic. And they're all like, Oh man, like this is like a world we never got to play in, in our, as a kids. And we would have loved it as kids. You know, I watched like stranger things or something and I'm like, dang, I missed out like big time on this whole world of like living in D and D playing all weekend with my friends. Like, yeah. I, I'm yes. sure I got some, loads of other good background. stuff, but yeah. What is your background? So uh, messy all over the place. So okay. kind of uh, probably within the wheelhouse of evangelical Christianity to some degree or another, I went into like reverend, fundamental, charismatic. My dad was a Baptist pastor. I mean, I've kind of played around in it all. Um, but yeah, I've, and I've been in kind of the more progressive church and, and kind of here, there and everywhere. And I don't like church. So, I mean, I never have liked church, even when I was like traveling and speaking all over the world in churches, I was like, I don't like doing this. I just kind of, I'm doing this. Um, mostly because I want to help people that are in it, but I'm like, God, I do not want to be in this at all. Um, yeah. So I've never clicked with kind of church um, as a whole. It's just, I, I don't like, I'm not a big music person. So I don't really, and, and God, if I'm not a big music person, I'm really not a big worship music person. So I, I don't connect with the divine in that context of singing for an hour some words that I don't particularly believe or think are particularly healthy. Um, yep. Sitting, listening to one person sharing a perspective that none of us get to like really particularly feedback on or discuss like that kind of model has never really massively interested me. So what's your background? What, where, where, how did you become someone who is playing D and D running a, a kind of a, a a, a side gig that's all about helping people explore their doubts uh, and daring to doubt like that seems like something that isn't particularly in the wheelhouse of my world as I grew up in evangelical Christianity is that your experience am I right in that yes um so definitely was not in my wheelhouse either growing up um acting or dungeons and dragons <laughs> uh, or helping people dare to doubt um mm. which is tricky because we we're always encouraged to um you know question like there, there are so many mixed messages like use the intelligence god gave you and seek wisdom and but don't eat from the tree of knowledge and and um you know there's just so it's it's uh i think the the search and hunger for knowledge um, is one of the most tricky, uh, I don't know if it's a catch-22, what's the word I'm looking for? It's one of those things in the Bible where there's just so many mixed messages about it. And it was the thing that I know for me, I probably, one of the things that I struggled with the most was wanting to learn and wanting to read other mm. things from so many different sources and feeling inhibited because it was um, demonic it fell into right. the demonic realm because if it wasn't of Christianity, it wasn't of God. And therefore there was one, only one other being it could be from, which was Satan right. himself. Yeah. Um, so I was raised um, similarly to you in that it, uh, a sort of umbrella of non-denominations that could broadly be mm. described as evangelical. Um, when I was born, my parents were members of the Foursquare Church, okay. which yep. has its roots in Pentecostalism. My dad was a, a pastor. They were missionaries uh, with the Foursquare Church for a little bit. And then as I got older, they, my parents went um, 
to a decidedly non-denominational fellowship that we didn't even call it church anymore. It was a, a fellowship. Yeah. Um, and then when I was about eight, nine years old in the mid nineties, um, my parents got swept into a charismatic renewal movement called the okay. Toronto blessing. Yeah. Um, and it made its way out to the, it made its way to the UK, to the, to the world. Mm -hmm. it, it, it made yeah, its I'm very way familiar with this Toronto blessing. Very, very familiar. So, so then, you know, it's, it's, I, I haven't found it get more charismatic than that. Um, just in the sense for people who don't know, it's, it's just, um, an extreme of, of emotional displays of praying in tongues and receiving visions and receiving miraculous healings and mm. falling to the floor and, and uh, weeping and laughing and barking like dogs that are groaning like other animals. Um, just um, that now as an adult, it, like it's, it's very, one of the things that's uh, helped me in my um, healing from indoctrination journey is understanding what the hell was going on and understanding yeah. mystical experiences more. I do yeah. think for some people they were genuinely undergoing some sort of authentic mystical experience, but I now know it is certainly not unique to Christianity and it can be found all no. over the world, in different cultures. So um, yeah. that when I was a teenager, uh, it became less charismatic um, and more just standard evangelical. Like there was still like raising your hands in worship and some people would right. pray in tongues, but it wasn't as um, emotive, let's say. And sure. uh, it became much more about the youth, the youth group culture that so many of us can um, relate to where there's like mm. Bible studies, accountability groups and testimonies and purity culture. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's pr that's pretty much my Christian journey yeah. in a nutshell. So in that journey, were you like all in? Were you kind of like dragging your heels a bit? Like where were you at as you're going through these kind of different stages? Like while you're in like the kind of Toronto movement and like people are like, you know, falling on the floor and like doing their thing. Are you also going, wow, like there's something going on here. This is amazing. You know, can you talking about kind of reframing some of that? But like, where were you at? Like, what did that look like for you? on a kind of individual level. Yeah. So, uh, I definitely was a wholehearted believer. Um, I, like I said, I was born into, a, a, or maybe I didn't say this as my parents were already Christians by the time I was born. Sure. I'm the oldest of five. We were all homeschooled. So that was another layer of, um, of insulation, I guess, from yeah. other influences that I might've come across or other spiritual paths. Um, I think that for me, it's this tricky thing. I was just talking about it with a friend recently who was like, like, but you didn't believe it, right? Like it wasn't real for you. And it was a hard question for me to answer. Cause it's like, no, no, no. I a hundred percent believed it and it wasn't real for me. Yeah. So it's, it's a tricky thing because I, I absolutely believed in God and in Jesus as my savior, but I never, and I believed in the Holy spirit, but I never personally experienced any of it. And oh, okay. like, I never got any visions. I never felt like God was talking to me and I would try my, my hardest to, to feel this love that everyone was mm. talking about or to feel some sense of relief when I prayed that I couldn't justify as like, well, that's just how good I feel when I'm done journaling, whether it's to God or just my diary. Um, yeah. There's a certain catharsis in letting, letting out 
emotion that I think I wanted to tell myself was God, but I knew better deep down. I knew mm. this was nothing beyond my own self. Um, and I think that, like I said, I think that it, that it's very real for many people, but for me, it was not. And I, and even though I, I genuinely believed in it, um, and I really sincerely wanted it to be real. And I just assumed that it must be because I'm a sinner and blind to this secret sin that myself mm -hmm. is harboring from myself that God won't touch me because of course there were sins that I did consciously, but there were times where, you know, you have a really good stretch of, you're like, but I've been so good. And I've, yeah. I've repented of everything known and unknown and like, like <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's like, you don't know how, how much more pure of heart you could possibly be. And yeah. still like, for me, I just still felt like God didn't, meet me. And so I, I, I faked it. Um, I pretended to like, I'm sure people who knew me back then would be like, Oh no, I like, I don't know. I probably looked that, uh, that I, I totally experienced God. Cause I made it, I, I made up visions. I, I flat out just, just bald face lies, prophecies yeah. that I felt like I put on my heart to share. Um, and, and it was all lies that I do feel, um, embarrassed by. And regretful now, mainly regretful because I was not being honest with myself mm. or the people around me. And I don't, I don't like that. I, um, some of the things that I, that I did when I was, um, under the influence, if you will, of, of belief in God and including like calling people out on things the way I was called mm. out, you know, we, there's, there's so many stories of, of, um, especially in like the ex evangelical or ex Christian community of the times where our sins were called out in the name of love. And I'm equally guilty of that, of doing mm -hmm. that to others. And I, I feel very regretful and remorseful about that as I, as I'm simultaneously aware of the fact that I did it probably for the same reasons that other people are doing it because it's a form of social survival. Yeah. And, uh, that's at, at least for me, that's, that's mainly what it was. Yeah. It's so tough, isn't it? I, I often try, I was talking to my wife about this. We got a thing through the door, um, like this letter that was like, you know, handwritten and it was from this woman in our community somewhere. And it was like, Hey neighbor, like it's a really hard time. And I, I work in like care industry and like, I'm seeing a lot of people struggling. She's like, I want you to know, I live in your area. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. And if you ever need anyone to talk to or to pray for you, here's my phone number. You're welcome to text me or call me anytime. And I'm like, it's really sweet. Like I, I really appreciate like where she's at, but she included yeah. like this little track, you know, and it was like, and you can pray through this prayer and you can find out that you're like, and you read it. And she's like, just skip to like page six and pray the prayer. And I'm like looking at page one and two and I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember this stuff. And it's so hard to remember a me that believed this to remember a me that was all in, like there's a scientific um, component of this where we can't physically have a memory of us in the past where we don't have the psyche that we have today. So we can't go back to having the psyche we had then. And so even when you insert yourself back into your teenage years or whatever, you're kind of you in that moment when you're reimagining that memory. And so like, there's this thing I was talking to my wife, I'm like, I can't remember when, because I was in that and I believed Maybe like you, I probably had my questions, my doubts, but I didn't allow myself to engage in them to the same extent that I have um, now. 
but I, I believed it. I really did think, God, we need to get people saved or, you know, like I'm really worried about these people that are sinning. Maybe I need to call it, you know, my, my buddy, Bob, he's got a problem with porn. Never mind the fact I've got a problem with porn. Cause I'm a teenage boy as well. Right. And they're like, are you kidding? In the early 2000s, it's, you know, it's the heyday yeah. for having a problem with porn. Christian teenagers oh, yeah. have never lived in a better time. Um, so like, yeah. you know, but we were all like, oh, but how are you doing? You know, and calling each other out in our sin. And, you know, and there's this whole like guilt mechanism and, and shame. And then you've got things like in the charismatic movement, like what you're talking about there of like, that's awesome that many people have these profound experiences and it's really an amazing experience for them and they feel it's very unique. And I'm not going to say it's not for them at all. I have no desire to, that's not important to me. Um, but when it's not something I'm engaging with or 20% of the people in the room aren't engaging with, or 90%, I don't know what we're doing is we're building these cycles of kind of like shame, guilt, doubting ourselves, beating ourselves up for secret sins. Like that's a lot to go through for anyone, even a healthy person to kind of have to navigate some of that stuff. Never mind like a, a teenager, right. Who has no real grids yeah. to navigate this you you know your home schools you're brought up within the church like your whole world is this world and then you are asking yourself do i even fit in here is there something fundamentally yeah. wrong with me in this that's that's a lot to to navigate um it is. yeah it is and i feel so, like um the perception well, of redemption i think is a big part of that cycle like the the relief of confession is like this burst mm. of neurotransmitters going on that I, like I said, I think, I know for me, I physiologically and emotionally and mentally don't feel any different, or I didn't feel any different, like letting something out to just my diary or a friend and letting it out to God. Mm. And I think it's that, it's that release of, um, I don't know, there's, there's gotta be something to it. There, there, it's like, confessing things once you purge them you feel good and i think yeah. that that's sort of um part of the mechanism that keeps us coming back because we're always going to sin right so there's always something to be uh repentant for and therefore receive redemption and forgiveness for and so it's mm. this it's, it's that shame cycle the christian shame cycle of just this merry-go-round yeah. of like, like shame but i'm forgiven and i'm high and elated and now i'm sinning again and now i'm shamed and now i'm forgiven and it's just like that's what it was that's what it was for me mm. it's good repeat business right i mean oh, on another great. level when you look at it how this is built from a a, a very cynical step back yeah. and go huh let's look at this as a business you're like this is a fantastic model Jeez. like because people need to come back and figure it out um yeah it's, it's fascinating uh really really interesting so how did you go from being in the in the the throes of your youth group your um kind of in this kind of semi-charismatic maybe more evangelical place uh charismatic world's deeply evangelical i know but like you know like you maybe take a step out of the more extremes of that and kind of in more of a kind of tailored toned down youth group is that is that right or, yeah. or not really was it still very much in the throes of that kind of charismatic world the youth groups weren't as much charismatic um there so my family moved around a lot and i think that this probably my shift in varying degrees of evangelicalism probably were heavily influenced mostly by where we lived mm. um i was i grew up mostly in rockford illinois uh which is a it's like illinois second largest city in the 90s but it's really just like a small little dot below the wisconsin right. border. um and i was living there at the time that my family got involved with the Toronto blessing. And so there were, there were all these road trips back and forth to Toronto. Yeah. 
uh, and other um, churches in the Midwest that were nearby that would have uh, Toronto Blessing renewal inspired conferences. Um, by the time I was a teenager, we settled first in Kansas City and then Colorado. And Kansas City was very, um, what I think of as, as classic evangelical, but I'm sure these words mean something different to everyone. For yeah. me, that was the, that was the junior high youth group that I was involved with when we went to Washington, DC. Um, I believe it was the year 2000 for, uh, this event called the call. I knew uh, you were going to say this. The call DC run by Lou Angle. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah. it's a small world, like, right? Oh, you end up in Kansas um, City. Yeah, this is going to end with like Lou Angle, Mike Bickle, someone along this kind of like lines, 100%. Oh, yeah, Mike <laughs> Bickle was the head. Yeah, yeah yes. Wow. Mike Bickle was the the senior pastor of, of Metro Christian Fellowship in Kansas City when my family arrived. And we arrived at a time when they were going through a shift in leadership. And Floyd McClung, who was... Um, one of the people who ran YWAM, the Youth with a Mission, mm -hmm. for a long time, he became the senior pastor at Metro mm -hmm. while my family was attending there. So that it was, I guess, they're, they're, that whole area is renowned for the Kansas City Prophets, which uh, yep. Mike Bickle, I think, is one of them, several others. Um, and Lou Engel, I remember he, he visited our youth group and told us about this prophecy. And, you know, there's going to be a million teenagers on the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C., and uh, we're invited to like be a part of this and like be part of the, it sounded like a neo-Nazarite calling. Right. And um, I was super stoked and like, like I felt like, oh yeah, my generation is the one that's yeah. like gonna bring America back to the Lord. Dude, and that guy can get you riled up. Like he's oh, got yeah. this thing. And I remember I, when I went to California and I went and did ministry school there at a charismatic uh, movement in, in the North California. And um, he was there the first kind of like weekend and he was telling us about this big event. It was about the time of Prop, um, Prop 8, was it? I don't know. Oh, the one I think it's about homosexuality. Gay maybe? marriage. Pop, yeah. Yeah. And, and he was like, this is, you know, this is what's going on. And, you know, we need to fast. And he called it like, this 40 day fast. And then everyone was going to go to San, San Diego or something for this huge event. I remember like doing like no joke, 40 day fast. Like I, I didn't fast absolutely everything. I think I did a juice fast for like 40 days and I was like praying and I was into this. And like, I, I was like, you know, you can't fault me for at least being fully convinced of what I believed at the time. Um, but I remember I then went to San Diego, right? This is like poor, like Phil, like the, the palest of pale people from Scotland. And I'm in California already. And it's like the summer, it's like a hundred degrees up in Reading. It was awful. And I'm like fasting, I'm dying. We then go down to San Diego for a weekend and we go to this big event where we were going to pray and make sure that God saved the world from homosexual marriage, which of course is going to end the world somehow. Um, and, uh, I remember almost dying at that event because there was no water on site at all. And like, you've got like all these people about like, you know, tens of thousands of people with no water in like September in San Diego yeah. who have been fasting for 40 days. It was like a recipe for death, but that's my only kind of interaction with Lou Angle. And it was like, he almost killed me. And he didn't, of course, it was my amazing life choices that did it. Um, but even that, I'm like, I can't get my head in the mindset of like, how was I that person? Not that long ago, 12, 13 years ago, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah. It's yeah. wild. It's wild. It's so, so you guys end up going to like Washington, 
like you're you're like marching on the on the white house for this thing right i'm like on the capitol mall yeah and it's like it's like um i remember um there they were you know how how the lingo at a lot of these events is full of um nature references like more fire and let it rain and like it's like druid druidry if you will uh and and it's i remember they were one of the worship songs was like echoing something about let it rain and of course the sky breaks open in rain and it's like all moody and cloudy and Amazing. i remember that just a sign um but yeah it was muddy in the grass and we were there and we were like 400,000 people short of the 1 million prophesied, which we didn't know. I, I didn't know at the time. I know that right. now, but it's, um, it's, yeah, like we, we were praying for, I remember the two, the, the three biggest things that I remember praying for that day that are part or were a part of Lou Engel's ministry at the time were, um, ban keeping gay marriage federally legal and overturning it in the States where it was legal. Mm -hmm. Uh, overturning Roe v. Wade because abortion, um, yeah, like thus to be pro-life was just a, a given. Um, sure. Praying for all the aborted babies, for God to forgive their mothers who didn't know what they were doing and, you know, they slaughtered them. And then uh, also, I remember martyrdom, the call to mm -hmm. martyrdom being a huge theme of my youth, not just from the call DC, but like throughout my youth, um, you know, Columbine happened. I don't, I don't know how old you are, but I remember Columbine mm -hmm. happened when I was, I think what, 12 or 13. And I remember two girls being held up as martyrs, Rachel Scott and, um, one other girl, Kat, I want to say Cassie Bernal, but I think her, her martyrdom statement was later credited to another girl, Val Schnur, I want to say, don't quote right. me on this. <laughs> Google it yourself guys. Um, but I think, uh, I remember martyrdom being a huge thing about how God calls us to be martyrs and we must be ready to sacrifice our lives. And that day we were fasting. I didn't have to do a 40 day fast that you, you were like next level faster. Dude, I, was, I, I probably had a few cheeseburgers in there. Don't, don't deify me. I probably, I probably cheated it regularly. <laughs> Uh, I, I remember fasting for certain things for 40 days at a time. Like I did a chocolate fast and I just okay. about died when I realized I was eating cocoa pebbles cereal. Cause I forgot oh. I had chocolate in it. At that point you're <laughs> off the wagon. You might as well like just go in, you know, like, there's this like, ah, God won't uh, count my prayers no. now. So I might as well go eat a whole bunch of chocolate. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes. It's so, it's so, um, the emotions are so intense. And I remember one of the days that we were there in DC, I'd never fasted before. I was, we were doing a full food fast. We did have water. So it wasn't as bad as your situation, but we had water, but I remember, I did not know then that I'm hypoglycemic. And that oh, wow. was, that trip was how I found out actually, because one of my youth pastors happened to be a nurse and I was just having like an extra rough time, like nauseous, like clenching my belly in pain and like super weak and shaky. And she was like, Alice, are you hypoglycemic? And I had no idea what it meant. And, you know, she's like, do you get, do you get grouchy and like really ill when you don't have food? And I'm like, well, yeah, but doesn't everyone like, that's the point is mm. we're supposed to be ill without food to prove to God that we love him and that we put him first and not food. We're not going to fill ourselves with things of the flesh and world. And <laughs> she, it was so interesting watching her, the way I recall her reaction was because it, it was as though she was trying to reconcile her medical knowledge yeah. with spiritual influence and 
and it's, it's like she handed me a box of thrift skits and she was like eat these and i didn't until um i was growing up later on in the day and she just sat me down and she's like eat these and so i ate them and i felt so wow. deeply deeply ashamed of myself yeah. so deeply and i was hoping no one was looking i was like trying to be all subtle about it on the oh. picnic blanket and i remember this one kid from youth group who i kind of had a little crush on that i was definitely not supposed to have he like came and sat by me and like like smiled at me sort of to let me know it was okay um and i remember that just makes it all worse it yeah and it, <laughs> you know it was probably fresh talking but <laughs> i was probably just projecting but yeah it was uh yeah, it's interesting the thing looking back and like seeing myself as that that sincere on fire 13 year old mm. girl and and like if if she had any idea who she would grow up to be and who I am now. Oh my gosh, yeah. I can't even imagine what I would have done. It's just so I would yeah. have been so horrified. So yeah. so horrified at, at who I would turn into be. Yeah. So my wife um she's amazing she keeps all these like journals and somehow you then can go oh let's read this journal from when you were seven or something but one of the things she started to do when she was older she's like she starts emailing herself like 10 years in the future and then it sends you an email and you get to read this what? email from like 18 year old yourself you know when you're 30 or something and That's she really she went and found some like she just searched her emails and was reading some to me and i am like dying of laughter because she it was it, i think it was the one when she was like just turning 18 she's a good christian girl you know grew up in a christian family evangelical kind of you know that's her kind of world and literally her entire email is like now look you're going to college there's going to be a lot of temptations you might do some really bad things but at least keep your faith come on you can keep your faith i'm going to be so disappointed if i ever realize if i if i ever know like she's just like that is all she cares she's like please 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 keep her and now she's like dude i was like a bit insane like that was all i could think of i didn't even care about anything else like anything could have happened as long as i held on to that one thing and it, and it is, it's just so yeah. hard to, to remember, but like, that's how passionate it really pisses me off when people are like, oh, these people that deconstruct, deconvert, de-church, whatever D's or whatever, um, they are like, oh, they're just kind of like lukewarm or they don't care. And the data just isn't there. Like the data is that generally speaking, it's the most passionate and, and, and generally speaking, even more, um, senior. Uh, within the church, you're more likely to do this, to, to deconstruct or to deconvert. Um, and it really pissed me off how often that is the kind of the, the thing, oh, these people didn't care, you know, oh, you didn't really care. You know, yeah. it's like, are you kidding me? I almost killed yeah, myself favorite. not eating some triscuits. You know I mean? Like I cared. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 It's really, really crazy. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're onto something. I do think that there does anecdotally speaking anyway, seem to be a correlation between um, the people who took it super seriously, um, like very seriously seem to be the ones that like, may maybe it's because they're the most vocal post-faith. I don't mm -hmm. know, but there definitely okay. seems to be a large correlation between a lot of the ex-believers that I've talked to all say, I'll share in common, like, oh no, I was so devout. Like I, mm. I fasted, I led the worship team. I did this, I did that. Like I was so, so involved. And I think it's in my theory is that it's partly because we take it so, so seriously. And we yeah. endeavor to really understand what we're speaking about that it allow our, 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 our earnest quest allows us to find the flaws maybe more yeah. than the people who don't read their Bibles. Like I just learned a startling statistic about um, how like something, something like 70% of Americans 
profess to be Christian, but only like 11% have actually read the Bible, wow. um, aside from like a few of the happier sounding verses. And that sure. just astounded me because I read the whole thing when I was 12 and I've read so many big solid chunks like since then, not cover to cover like I did then, mm -hmm. but like it, it was I just took it so serious because I thought if I'm going to call myself this, I better know what I'm talking about. I better be able to back up my stories, back up my facts and found just so many inconsistencies. And I have a feeling I, I didn't know about apologetics until I was out of Christianity, but I have a feeling if I discovered it um, sooner, I definitely would have like probably gone to seminary and become a professional apologist for, oh, wow. uh, for the faith, just because like, and I still think it would have been my undoing. Um, but it, it who, who knows who, mm. who's to say my life went a different way. And, yeah. um, I, I do think it's interesting though, just how many sincere devotees there were yeah. who now, um, have either left faith altogether or just practice a different version of, of faith or spirituality that's more real to them. Yeah. Um, I think we have a lot in common where it's like we, most of us do seem to have been super, super devout, like we're missionaries or, you know, mm. they're, yeah. A lot of PKs, a lot of PKs. Like same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So as, as one yeah. of the things we're going to, in a next group of um, studies, we're putting out month, uh, bi-monthly studies on um, on the whole movement of deconstruction and things like that to, to try and get more data. Um, the next one I'm putting out is, is going to be studying like to what degree were people, or part of it is to what degree were people involved in their churches. I really want to know, like, can we see people are more or less inclined to be, um, because there is some... Uh, it's not much, but there is minimal data out there and it points to that fact. Like it's really, it's quite stark when you look at it as well. It's like, it's a lot of people were really involved in their churches um, and people that are involved are more likely. So it's, it's really fascinating, but it makes sense. It really, like yeah. you're saying, like you're going to get serious about this. Like, but so how did you get from, you're now kind of coming out of your youth group, you know, all that different stuff. And you end up, you know, you could have been in seminary, you could have done a whole bunch of different things. How do you go from being a homeschooled, good Christian girl to get ended up in the acting world, which is like, I mean, like, that is like, Satan, right? I mean, like, it's like, yeah, dude, next step, D&D, yeah. you, you go into oh, acting, you know, into Hollywood, or, you know, like, yes. how does that, how does that happen? The slope was as slippery as they warned. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, I think so. So it happened. I I was I because I was homeschooled. I got my GED as soon as I turned sixteen. I was already going to community college at fifteen, and I was planning to go to nursing school and then eventually join YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and go to the one in Perth, Australia, because I had a great nursing program. So I wanted. I was also to be a missionary nurse. That's what I wanted to do. And when I was 16 or so, I, I was scouted at a local mall by a, a modeling scout. It's such a cliche 17 magazine kind of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah I was, I was scouted, scouted by a, a talent scout at the mall, Twin Peaks Mall in Longmont, Colorado. And um, she she wanted me to enter some contest for some giveaway they were doing for their modeling program. 
and I didn't win the modeling program, but they, they were like, oh, you should come in and do our program anyway, like pay all this money and do this thing. And, and like, I fully expected my parents to say, absolutely not for a multitude of reasons. We didn't Mm. have the money and it was modeling. Like it was just so worldly and lust encouraging and sinful. And, um, and I, uh, I didn't think that, that there was any way I'd be able to do it. But at the same time, God seemed to be closing the doors to nursing school. Cause I found out in the state of Colorado, you have to be 18. Um, right. They changed the law. So I was looking at like a year and a half to kill before I could do the thing that I believed God uh, called me to do. And um, while those doors were closing, the, the local workforce program that I was getting my GED through Um, they had like some, some, it was like a career counseling center and they had a budget for certain career educational, like vocational school types of things. And my mom was like, oh, maybe they'll fund this modeling venture because it is kind of like a vocational school. And they, they did. And it was just like, what? (laughs) Like, you're kidding. Like, this looks like the most quacky hoax ever, but okay, I guess I'm going to modeling school. (laughs) And, um, and, and so I did. And then through that, a talent manager from Los Angeles came out to meet with me and a couple of other, a couple of the other kids who, who were there. And he, uh, he'd never seen me act before. He was like, honey, I got good instincts and you have a great look and casting's going to love you and blah, 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 blah. Again, I, I, I didn't even want to go to LA. I was so mm. sick of by the time this opportunity came and I thought like my life is finally stable I have a plan and I feel like this is what God wants for me and uh, I did not have any interest in moving to LA to be an actor I hated being on camera I hated talking on camera modeling was fine because it's like still photos but something about the video and speaking element really scared me and um my parents were were so surprisingly supportive to this day I look back and I'm like wow like they they really were a hundred percent supportive of this in large part because they felt like it was something God was calling me to because the doors that were opening were just such clear open doors. And Mm -hmm. so they encouraged me to like, you know, pray about it, you know, maybe, maybe this is how God's going to provide you the money. And I thought that too, like, maybe this is how God's going to give me the money to eventually move to India and open up my dream mission hospital, um, which is what I wanted to do. And so I, uh, I figured since the doors were closed for me to stay in school, I would just take a semester or two off, move to LA and try out pilot season, which mm-hmm. at the time I did not know meant um, like like a pilot. For those who don't know who were ignorant like me, um, it's the first episode of a TV show that's being hoped to be picked up to a full season. So it, it, pilot seasons change now. It basically doesn't exist anymore because of streaming with things like Netflix and Hulu. But back in the day, um, it was basically January through April. So I took that spring semester, went to LA. My family came with me and uh, wow. we lived at the Days Inn in, in Sherman Oaks for about a month and then stayed with a family friend. Um, and I... I, within a few months, I started booking, which now I know is just insane. That's crazy. Yeah. It can take most people months or years even to just get a good agent. And because I was scouted by that talent manager, I had a manager and an agent right away. And I was just super, super fortunate. And then my family moved back to Colorado. I turned 17 and they left me in LA and I was a super responsible kid, like most of us ex super evangelicals, yeah, <laughs> super yeah, conscientious. Yeah. 
um, very responsible oldest child, the whole bit. Yeah. And so my parents weren't really worried about me getting in trouble or anything. And I, and I didn't like, I, right. I called them the one time that I was going to get drunk because I kept going out for all these characters having to play drunk or high. And I'd never been either. And I was like, just so you guys know, I'm going to drink rum with my friends tonight, <laughs> just so I know what it feels like. Um, so it challenged funny. me a lot and I couldn't, there were so many moments. I remember I had to swear in my first audition, I had to say fuck. And it like, I was like choking on the word in my mouth and, um, characters that were like having sex with their boyfriend or that were wearing tube tops or spaghetti straps, mm. like these things that I, I had not been allowed to wear. And so I felt like either Satan's really testing me or God is calling me to like be a light in the dark. And to do that, I have to like go into the dark so then I can be a light. Um, and so it, it was, uh, that same year. And this was the beginning of my deconstruction, as they say, um, a guy from my youth group back home had coincidentally moved out to LA, which of course at the time did not see as coincidence. It was clearly a God thing. Sure. Um, and, uh, we were really good friends. We never dated or anything, but one day he, he said that God had shown him that I was his future wife. And Lucky you. Ha! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he was, he was 20. I was 17. And oh, so we were young, but you know, where, where we're from, it's not, it's really not that uncommon no. to get married right after you graduate high school, in which my case, I'd already gra technically graduated high school, but we figured we wait until I was like maybe 20 or 21 to, to officially get married. But the really trippy thing was, um, was that my dad and his mom said the same thing. And for anyone who grew up reading I Kiss Dating Goodbye or When mm. God Writes Your Love Story, that's just the evangelical courtship formula is yeah. you don't date. Not, I mean, having sex isn't even on the table. So like- you, No, no, you just no. Like date. holding hands and kissing is like the big no. discussion. We're not even gonna like, no. that's not even a possibility. <laughs> no. You save your first kiss for your wedding day if you're like a true, yeah, if you're like, so like I, I was doing all the right things. I was waiting. I'd never held hands with the guy. I had my first kiss in acting class and like wept and wrote a letter to my future oh. husband full of guilt about it. Being like, please understand. This is what God's called me to do. It wasn't me kissing him. It was my character kissing his character. Um, but I really struggled with like all those purity culture things. And then by the time this announcement came into my life, it was like, well, yeah, this is how it was supposed to happen. The only part that didn't match though was that I did not have romantic feelings for him. Right. And I was always told that if you are faithful, God's going to fucking bless you. Of course they didn't say that, but God's going to reward you with this epic love story. That's going to defy all your romantic dreams. And you know, like, of course you'll be attracted to the person God has mm. set aside because God wants us to enjoy sex, but in marriage. So it's, it was like, it just did not, I felt so betrayed. Yeah. Um, just completely shatteringly betrayed. And it was the first time I ever disobeyed God consciously when I broke off our, our engagement, we were betrothed slash engaged to me. It felt like a betrothal. I did not feel like a happy engagement. lasted two months and breaking it off is to this day, the scariest thing I've ever done. And I wow. don't even remember, like I blacked out is how scared I was. Um, wow. Because it wasn't just ending the betrothal. It was disobeying God and therefore stepping outside right. the umbrella of his protection and letting Satan have me. Yeah. And um, it, it felt like, yeah, it literally just felt like 
saying, Satan here, have me, you know, my life is yours now because I'm consciously going against what God's will is clearly for me. So, um, three years later, like for the next three years, I, I forayed into a more liberal type of Christianity that, um, like my, my faith, it was like a very slow evolving where like, I stopped going to church first and foremost. I was like, I, and that was one of the things that my ex fiance and I fought about was he wanted me to go to church and premarital counseling with him. And I was like, I don't want to go to church. And God says, I don't have to, I have a personal relationship with him. And personal relationship started to wane because I realized like, wow, God had never talked to me once. Mm. And I was okay with playing along with it up until the point where it was like, you're telling me to marry someone now and spend the rest of my life with him and have his kids when a, that's not what you promised. That wasn't part of the bargain was part of the bargain was that I would be madly in love with him and be like, you're still telling everyone else, but me about this. So that was the first that, that, that admission really shook things for my faith. And even so I was just so brainwashed, um, to be, to believe in hell and the demonic realm. And, and I, that's what kept me a Christian for the next three years after that. I honestly think if I, if I didn't believe in hell so sincerely, I would have stopped trying then and there, but I, I was so scared of going to hell that I was, I desperately tried to make any version of the Christian faith, um, real to me, even if it was like the more liberal blue like jazz the message type of um christianity that was like pushing the envelope uh and considered quite radical um even though it was embraced by by some like it it uh the world just didn't match up to what i've been taught the longer i stayed in la because i kept i kept booking work and i kept making friends and some of them were gay and i just could some of them were scientologists and I just couldn't see any of them going to hell. And they were way kinder to me than any other Christian friends had ever yeah. been. Um, or, or that I had been to my Christian friends. Like there was just so much love, like true secular grace kind of love uh, in the world. And it just defied everything that I thought and really made me reevaluate everything. And so eventually... Um, I, I tried watching the documentary Jesus Camp. Oh, uh, have you seen it? Yeah, I have a friend who was in it and we, we forced her to watch it with us like further down the line and she, she just was dying. It was, because it, it is it is brutal. I mean, it's, it's those guys, right? It's Lou and like yep. that kind of world. Lou Engle, full circle, coming back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it was, it was like watching my childhood. I half expected to see myself in there somewhere in the right. footage. I was like, Brace. I couldn't, I couldn't watch more than 10 minutes of it before I begged my boyfriend at the time, because I had a boyfriend, um, to turn it off. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with this. And it was, it just triggered me and brought back like the admission that I'd just been faking it the whole time. Mm. And so I gave God a last test. And I was like, I know I'm not supposed to test you, but like, I really need to know. And you've got to, if you love me and you're really there, you're going to understand that like, I just, I need it to be undeniable. I just, I'll never, ever doubt you again. I promise. Like if you make yourself undeniable to me in a way that, you know, I cannot justify by something else, Mm. I, you have like a hardcore believer for life. Like why wouldn't, if God loved me yeah, and if he really did. It's like a reasonable deal here. 
and and he's God. He can do anything. And nothing happened. Yeah. He failed. And then I I like cried. And then I just felt nothing. Just mm. numb. And then about a week later, I felt like I remember shortly after that, because I, I became an atheist instantly. Um there was nothing else for me. Uh I know some people. God is still real to them, just not the Christian God. But for me, there was, there was nothing. And I mm. tried, I looked into a lot of other spiritual paths um, and, and like everything from like Buddhism, Taoism, vague new age spirituality mainly. Uh, and I, I just, for me, they all, I recognize the same muscles in my mind trying to like mm-hmm. justify and rationalize it. And they all required faith in something that was not genuinely real to me. So mm. Therefore, uh, yeah, I, I was done lying to myself and tricking myself and making things true for me that weren't. And so it, it just kind of, yeah, I just, I switched and I felt really free for like about two months and I just wore whatever I wanted and I, I drank too much and I, I just had fun. I read all the yeah. books I wanted to, like, I just, I just really enjoyed my free. I celebrated Halloween that year. It sounds like the most amazing, like evangelical rebellion I've ever heard. <laughs> like the most PG-13 awesome. rebellion. <laughs> yes. I read these books <laughs> and I wore like the clothes I wanted. And <laughs> no, it's so simple. So simple. It, um, man, it, it shows the level of like, um there's a level of control involved and like the level of like yeah yeah, it's it's just really scary to me like even like you're talking about like your engagement and I think about this a lot and I have no idea I'm on the other side of it right I'm I'm on the side of the privilege of that whole dynamic if anyone wins in this dynamic um but like it's it's grooming systemic grooming that like a 20 year old can go to your parents and say god's told me i'm gonna marry your daughter and talk to my parents and they're cool with it are you open to it and they're like well are you a good christian guy oh yeah cool yeah we're cool with it like it's it's not that far removed from hi i'd like to buy your daughter how many camels would you like it really isn't that far except for now the price is like oh you just have to be a christian like there's not even like a deal here your parents didn't walk away with some money you know um and and like the fact that you're like, oh, yeah, my, my parents say it's kind of okay. And like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like that's a terrifying thing, but that's not a shocking story to me. Like it still appalls me, but it's like, oh yeah, kind of not surprised in the evangelical, yeah. you know, conventional Christian world. And it's not just an evangelical thing, actually. It's probably much broader than that. Really common. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's a weird dynamic for like everyone living outside that bubble right? No one in America or Europe is like in that world. They're like, what? Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. But like, it's, it's a really weird, like, you know, so controlled into what you wear, what you do, how you do it. And even we think you should marry this person. You know, yeah. That's my advice. You don't feel it yet. You probably will. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff that happens yeah. to people that haven't even finished developing their brains, right? I mean, their brains are still developing till 23, 24. And you're expecting them to be like making these decisions. It's yeah. really, really scary. Really, really scary. Anyway, sorry, just a side note, but I'm just like, ah, ah, it, it just crazes me. Like, it makes me so mad. But so like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you and your wife meet when you guys were both still involved in the church or was it after? 
I've been married before this marriage. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I had a, a marriage that didn't work out. Um, that was very much within the charismatic world. Um, we met like mm -hmm. through that kind of world, the connections, however that works. Um, and she came and like joined the ministry school. I was a part of and all of that. Um, and that didn't work very well. My wife and I, we actually met on, I, I, I was running this weird dynamic where the, the stuff I do is predominantly based around the Christian world, even though most of the people I'm working with are now post that, whether they still consider themselves to be Christian or following some form, some path of Christ, or if they're agnostic, atheist, whatever, of different faith, I, that doesn't really bother me, but they all have a kind of tradition of coming out of some form of conventional Christianity. And for me, I was like looking at who do I want to be with long-term? I kind of want someone that gets that world. Like it would be really, really hard for me to be with someone that has no idea what the hell my, like 70% of my waking hours, I'm doing this. Like I'm working 60, 70 hours a day. I want someone to be able to go, hey, guess what happened in my day? And they're like, well, I don't understand. So the 17 year old was like pledged to be married to like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, that's not normal to you. Um, but I don't want them to be the kind of crazy that also is like, oh, that's a shame it didn't work out. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, so there was this kind of like, where do you look for that sweet spot, right? The sweet spot of like, I get it, but I'm not it. Um, and so we actually met on a Christian dating website. I kind of was like on a Christian dating website. I was on like a bunch of others. And the Christian dating website was just scary as hell because you could just scroll through it. First of all, it's just weird. Online dating is weird, right? It feels like you're like, like on Amazon, but for like a person, like it's just weird, right? Just scroll. Oh, that one looks interesting. Oh, the description is quite good. Let me read the reviews. Like, I mean, what is this? Um, but like, um, it's weird on the Christian dating stuff. You scroll down and you like you can get like two words in and they're like, I'm just looking for the the man of my house to serve and to and I'm like, oh, oh God, this person wants to be a slave. I'm like, I am not nope, nope, next, you know. But you can read like a couple of lines here and you're like, oh, you're that Christian. Oh, you're this Christian. Um and the only reason I contacted my wife is she just didn't have anything that was particularly Christian on her profile. Um she said she had a degree in philosophy um she had some similar hobbies and i was and she was good looking i mean that's how we operate we shouldn't really avoid yeah. that um and so i was like okay i'll message her and, and i quickly realized oh she's a thinker she studied she's questioning she was not on the same page as me she still is not on the same page as me she's still processing and figuring out where she's at um but mm -hmm. she's not in that world anymore and mm -hmm. that's kind of what i need someone that's come out of but it's, it was really hard because I did try like kind of non-Christian kind of stuff. And I was just like, eh, this just isn't, no one's kind of getting what I do or how I, or they, they're like, oh, that's a really cool thing you do. It's really awesome. I'm sure loads of people come out of religion and need help. That's really cool. But they, I wouldn't be able to talk to them till like the small hours of the night, like processing what's going on or, um, or whatever, you know, or bouncing ideas off. You know, like I'm able to bounce an idea off my wife and she can get it because she's been through it. She yeah. Can, oh, that would be helpful. Or, um, so, uh -huh. yeah, it's, it's a really a interesting dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't. You're the first person I've spoken with who it was that um, the specificity of what you said of like someone who's not still entrenched in it, but is still familiar with it enough to understand what what I'm talking about. So so that's really interesting. That makes so much sense to me. Mm. Um 
and how how amazing you guys found each other. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> it is, it's amazing. And and the vast majority of people that have gone through some form of deconstruction, deconversion, don't really need that to the same degree. You know, their whole lives isn't immersed in this kind of world. And so I'm very, very sure, sensitive yeah. to say, like, this is my this is my tick box, whatever your tick box is. I don't, don't do the same things as me. Like, people are like, how do you meet someone? Like, tell me how to, I'm like, what, what are you, like, do you think I'm like some sort of weird, like, fairy godmother? Like, this is not going to work like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, how so you you start coming you you're like boom i'm an atheist i'm out um like that's that's a harsh transition um to go through like and initially not a problem you really enjoying that like was there any lag as you're going through that you're starting to go oh man like there are recurring thoughts ideas fears shame like how do you process that because that's a lot of stuff there's some systemic kind of um, whether you were traumatized by it, there's some systemic traumatizing actions. <laughs> Different people can cope with that differently. But like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that people kind of navigate when they go through kind of coming out of uh, yes. that kind of world. So that process is actually what would eventually many, many years later lead me to start Dare to Doubt is to help other people through that process. Because for mm. me, it was extremely difficult um i mentioned you know for like a little bit i felt super free and i was wearing all the naughty clothes um and and uh, having my own very uh, pg-13 rebellion but after that freedom came this crash that i just never saw coming because i never mm. talked to anyone who had deconverted before i'd never heard about religious trauma or religious trauma syndrome i'd never heard about deconstruction I, I did not know i'd never met i knew there were people who um you know maybe grew up in church and didn't go anymore but like the people we were talking about earlier, I think in my mind, I just figured, oh, but they didn't grow up like me. Like they didn't take it as seriously as I did. You know, they probably, mm. it was probably just like an Easter and Christmas thing for them or something. Um, and so after that two month of freedom, I started having panic attacks and I had no idea why. I thought at the time it was because I'd moved and maybe I was just unsettled being in my new place because I, my mind was desperate to grasp a root um, some sort of reason why every time, and it would only at night, which is peculiar, but every night I would just, I wouldn't be able to sleep. I, I would just be, um, I mean, it got, it got bad, like self-harm, suicidal, Mm. bad, where I just needed it to stop. And I would like have auditory hallucinations, probably from the sleep deprivation at that point. Um, I, it, it was, a terrifying, but I didn't understand what was happening to me. I thought maybe I was just going crazy. Um, and I was about 21 when this was happening, uh, 21, 22, I want to say. And, uh, it, I saw a therapist for the first time in my life and, um, he was not a Christian therapist. Uh, it took me a few therapists to find him because some of the therapists that I saw, and this is Los Angeles, it's a big city. It's not, there's, I mean, if there are many, I'm sure there's Christian therapists, but LA is also, it's not, it's definitely not, doesn't give off Christian vibes, but it's very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I find LA to be an extremely spiritual city yeah. in the sense of like, they, they, you know, there's so many, um, 
it's infamous for its crazy cults, but it's also infamous for its Scientology community. It's infamous mm -hmm. for its like hippy dippy woo woo people. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, it was hard for me to find a therapist that wouldn't encourage me to meditate. Meditation was like really taking off then. And I found that to be extremely triggering. Still do, yeah. to be honest with you. I understand now you could totally meditate from a very secular standpoint. Like Sam Harris, one of the most renowned atheists, does a guided meditation. It, yeah. Like you absolutely can. Yeah, yeah. But it's for me, it felt like being told to pray mm -hmm. and nothing happened. Just like with prayer, nothing happened for me when I meditated. And so it triggered a button for me that was very unhelpful. Mm. Um, so by the time I found the ther my therapist, I ended up seeing him for three years. He'd never heard of religious trauma. He'd never, he's not, he wasn't familiar with the terms like deconstructing it, but even so he was able to help me immensely with mm. um, the symptoms of it. Um, the, 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 and there were, there were many, like once, once the panic attacks slowly faded away through a combination of, um, medication, I took clonopin as needed. Um, cause again, it happened at night and clonopin helped, helped me sleep. And it was like sort of yeah. not, not as intense like Xanax or Ativan, but in that sort of family. Um, and, uh, a few other things and also just someone to talk to and, um, I had off the charts anxiety. It's interesting because I met with him again recently and we were going over some tests that I'd taken when I first started seeing him. Mm. And like, I was just super highly, highly, highly anxious and very distrusting, like of people, like concerningly mistrusting of people, which of course, to people who come from the worlds that we come from and leave, it makes sense. It's like, you can't yeah. trust. It's very difficult to trust people because the wires yeah. of like love, trust, and betrayal ultimately are so wound together. Um, and so I did, I did therapy, uh, like I said, for three years. And um, I still, even though I knew I was an atheist, I still really tried to be open and I'll still be open-minded. Like I'll hear anything new at least once, but and not, not to sound arrogant or like I've come across all the ideas guys, but like by now I find that new spiritual ideas seem to have something in common with something else I've heard. So it's easier to filter, yeah. filter and be like, Oh, this just sounds a lot like astrology or, Oh, well, this sounds like that. And so I no longer need to like delve as deeply into it to know, mm. ah, this would require faith on my end, some element of faith or belief that I'm not willing to force. So I, I stopped there, but for my early mid twenties, I definitely still tried to ex explore. Um, and I really wanted to call myself an agnostic, but the problem with that was I would meet other people who were also agnostics mm. and they would still believe in afterlife. They just didn't know what it was fair, right. but I just didn't believe there was an afterlife or sure. it's like, yeah, I don't know, but like, I don't personally believe in one and like, yeah, I don't know that there's a God or not a God, but I don't personally believe in one. And so eventually I, I, uh, I was just like, yeah, I guess, I guess that makes me an atheist <laughs> if I'm going to have to call myself something. Um, but it, I would say, I would say it wasn't until I started, um, 
working on my book, which is a, a, a memoir about this arc. And there's many memoirs like this. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful to them. I call them re- like religious coming out memoirs. Um, but, but yeah, I, once I started uh, writing my book, it really kind of forced me to get into, well, not forced me because most people's books don't include this, but I found I could not help but getting, trying to get, understand the science, the neuroscience specifically of mystical experiences, um, which I saw displayed in charismatic Christianity mm. as the, the touch of the spirit. And it was that, that really, cut, like there was like this kachink that happened for me. It was like, ah, that was the missing link preventing me from really making peace with it because I could, I could heal. I could, you know, not have panic attacks anymore. My triggers were definitely still there, but they were like lessening and like not everything spiritual triggered an anxiety attack. I still get them sometimes from some triggers, but they're just a lot less now, but like things, um, slowly they got better, but I was still really kind of haunted by the idea of like, what was that if not God? You know, because I don't yeah. think I, w- I don't think I was the only one faking it, but I don't think everyone was faking it either. Yeah. So I really wanted to understand what that was. And that is ultimately what gave me um, just a lot of peace with it um, that I consider a very crucial part to healing. Like without that, I, pr- I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to imagine, mm-hmm. um, you know, where where I might might be now. I'm not sure, but that really helped me forgive myself and helped me forgive everyone really. Um, both the people for whom it was not real and especially the people for whom it is, because I felt very wronged, um, as I'm sure many of, many of us do. Uh, but it really gave me compassion for believers because it helped me understand, oh, their brains are wired differently. They weren't trying to manipulate me or control me. They genuinely were capable of a belief system that I also believed, but it wasn't real to me. But the difference is it is real to them experientially, like physiologically, it's real to them in their their brains. The way for me, it was only real as an idea that I didn't experience. So that really helped me let go of a lot of lingering Mm -hmm. resentment because I was able to see with like brain scan images even like, oh yeah, different parts of the brain light up for some people. And, you know, it's like a whole thing to get into why. Um, I'm content to nutshell it as just a difference of um, genetic inheritance and neurological hardwiring, that the, mm-hmm. uh, the combination of nature and nurture, which so many things are. And so um, that really helped, and, and I think still helps me uh, to have more um, empathy and understanding, I hope, for for both sides of like the faith, non-faith. Um, mm. Fine to walk, I find, especially in my work with doubt, because um, what's most important to me is to encourage people to be true to themselves, knowing that for, and absolutely supporting that for many people, that means still uh, believing in something that's true to them. That's maybe not traditional or organized, you know, or maybe Mm -hmm. is, but also within that, it's like, okay, I must take my own advice and be true to myself. And for me, there is no, there is nothing more at all. Um, that cannot somehow eventually be explained, uh, scientifically, you might say, perhaps with tools that we don't yet have to measure or or Mm -hmm. use to quantify. But, uh, for me to share my truth, it kind of feels antagonistic to the people 
who do believe in something. And so it's a fine line that I find myself walking between, um, you know, wanting, ultimately I started Dare to Doubt to help because, so stumbling over my words here, but basically I saw that there's a lot of support out there for people who are no longer um, fundamentalist or hardcore religious, but still believe in something. And yet there was not very much support for strictly secular people who yeah. grew up in religion. And yeah. that was, that was um, where I was like, I want to contribute to this space. Cause I know for yeah. me it was, and still is really hard for me to find a secular therapist who does not bring spirituality in any it's shape really or form. And it's really hard. And, and I, I mean, I've said before, I think, therapy is a lot like ministry like it attracts a similar person who genuinely wants to help others mm -hmm. and it's of the abstract sometimes physical help but a lot of the, the abstract mental and emotional nurturing and well-being and healing like the fields are very similar and so i think um my my goal was to try to help people find secular resources that would make them that would allow them to feel yeah. safe um and while I was building the website, I was like, you know, for three years, I was, I was not an evangelical, but I was, I would still call myself a Christian, although I modified it to follower of Christ. Cause I didn't want to <laughs> call myself a Christian anymore. Um, and I was so liberal. Uh, and I, I was like, you know, that was a really important part of my journey. And I mm -hmm. want to provide some resources for people who are there and maybe they'll always be there. Maybe they'll yep. never um, leave faith completely. So I was like, I'm going to put some faith, I call them faith friendly resources up there. And I'm glad I did. I think at the end of the day, my heart is mainly, um, wanting to help. It's like, I, I I've said before, like I made the website that I wanted to find when I was about age 21, 22. Uh, and that was someone who was extremely allergic to anything resembling faith, belief, mysticism. And so that's my heart is for the people who are in that place, but there's no harm in also putting some things up there and genuinely supporting people who are on a different, yeah. uh, a different path. Um, so yeah, that's, I started Dare to Doubt a little over a year ago, it was March of last year of 2019. And now okay. it's May 2020. So a little That's over awesome. a year ago. And uh, yeah, it's something that I thought I'd do much further in the future, something like this. Um, I thought it was going to be after my book was published and done, but the everything just sort of happened at once. And the ball just kept rolling. I was like, okay, I'm going to roll with this and see what comes out. And then it was like, oh, I know what I'm making. It's a resource site. Mm. And, um, cause at first I wasn't sure. I was like, Oh, do I want to just have a blog? Do I want to have a fund where people can contribute for people to go to secular therapy? Yeah. What do I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be. And then it was like very clear to me. I, I did know that I wanted to have resources for people of different faith backgrounds. So it's mm. not just for ex Christians. There's, um, seven, seven different, uh, belief systems. And I keep meaning to add more, but it's, it's the, technical issues <laughs> that I've been having uh, for a while that and just time issues but yeah like there's there's resources on there for everything from like ex-Amish ex-Mormon ex-Judaism ex-Islam uh, ex um, and then like a page for like uh, ex-Scientologists and then one for I call them Eastern religions and inspired groups um, and that could be everything from like kundalini yoga cults to uh like buddhism people are always surprised here there's ex-buddhists because i think buddhism is so 
it's like so uh it's like the good kind of religious i feel like yeah. at least in american society that's how a lot of people like, see it oh, buddhist yeah. it could be yeah really yeah but there are so, ex-buddhists yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally there's different different denominations of buddhism you could say and like i have a friend who's an ex-buddhist and you know her deconstruction she was a christian beforehand so she's like ex-christian then ex-buddhist and um yeah it's interesting people's people's arcs but i yeah i you know there's always room for improvement but i i wanted to at least have some sort of base yeah um resources on there for people who might just be trying to find a lead into connecting with other people who have gone through something similar mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and and it's so needed because you're so right. Like for me, I worked in the church, not particularly being at least psychologically in the church for a long time, wanting to be a bridge to help people that were almost felt trapped in the church, but wanted some sort of path out. And after a while, I was like, you know what? I can't do this. It's just, it was killing me. I, I just couldn't cope. Like, I don't think I was psychologically mature enough to be like in the thick of it all the time, it never actually being able to be myself and love for who i truly am um maybe aside from a few people that knew secretly who i really was um and so i kind of came out and i was like okay there's this whole world of people that have left that need some form of help and someone to just sit with them and chat with them and be there for them and give them resources and give them um just encouragement right um but that there's a whole yeah. nother level of people that um I think there's a lot of people in that wheelhouse. There's nowhere near enough. Like, like people are like, oh, I'd love to start a blog about this or something. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're like, this is the fastest growing movement of, of religiosity or, or spiritual direction would be a better uh, way to say it. This is the fastest growing movement of people leaving organized religion is the fastest growing movement in, in the West. Uh, there's no question about it. It's, it's huge. And generally speaking about 75 to 80 percent still hold some level of spirituality so it's quite a high amount mm -hmm. and so there is a great need yeah. for like these people to be guided helped yeah. and as much as like i'm loath to use this term because it really it's like a trigger word from hell in many ways that they 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 need someone to pass to them in the sense of just being there and just going i'll sit with you i'll talk with you i'll i'll listen to your pain and your awful story and just go i'm sorry that happened to you and if you ask questions i'll be happy to say here's some stuff i've learned from my experience but i'm not going to tell you any this is the thing that really pissed me off is like how many people go oh look an opportunity to tell people what to believe and i'm like that's this whole movement is a rejection of people telling them what to believe um, and so yeah. I think the importance is finding well people that will be in these areas to go, Hey, I'm not going to tell you what to believe, but I'll hold your hand and walk with you. Um, and I think there's a, but for that 75, 80% of people that are still wanting to have some level of spirituality, um, which is a complex word anyway, because many people that completely give up on anything would probably still fall into many catchments of deeply spiritual. I'm sure that you would probably qualify as deeply spiritual in some ways. Um, but those people desperately need safe people that are completely disconnected from any of those associations. This, the problem I find is like, I'm working with people that the whole spectrum, I work with atheists and agnostics all day, every day. And yet I work with a lot of people that are still like, no, I love Jesus. And I want to figure out how to love Jesus, but not be that. And it's like, mm -hmm. how do you even resource people on that spectrum? You can't, you can't please everyone. Um, and so I love having resources like yours to be able to go, Hey, look, if this is just not working for you, if following me is just too triggering, because occasionally I'll post something that's helpful for the people that are still trying to frame Christianity, delete yeah. me. I don't care. Like, I really don't mind. Like, follow someone like Dare to Doubt. Follow some of these other 
uh, movements, it's so exciting to have those kind of resources to give people. Like it's yeah. really exciting. Um, and it just isn't enough. Like, like, you know, it's, it's an amazing, it's a great niche, right? I mean, it's a good place to be. <laughs> it is, it is. It feels, it feels, um, one of my friends, when I told her that I had started Dare to Doubt, it was before I really launched it. She was like, you are so in your lane. <laughs> and like, it was, and she meant it so like, like a compliment, like, yeah. like I'd found what, um, if I believed in callings, it would be a calling, yeah. you know, but like it, 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 it was like, yeah, I, I have found my lane, at least for this chapter of my life. Yeah. I don't know how long I'll be involved in this space, but it's, um, I mean, it's always going to be part of my life story. So I'm imagine I'm always going to be involved in it to the element, like what you, what you said, when you do come across someone who's been through something similar, um, it's been such a privilege to, to talk with them. Um, like I've like, that was one of the other primary motivating factors for me too, was, um, working, on different TV or, or film sets and meeting other actors or makeup artists or hairdressers or gaffers, like other crew members and, and castmates who like, it would turn out like, oh, they were raised, like ex they're, they were raised super Baptist or they were raised super Mormon. And we all mm -hmm. had these, these huge life-changing arcs in common, but many of us had never even verbalized it out loud. It was yeah. like, they'd hear like a keyword of like, like I'd say, I don't know. So for example, being like, Oh yeah. Like the time I was slain by the spirit, most of the time that phrase just goes over people's heads and they don't know what it's it means. Fun. But the people who know, they're like, wait, what, what kind of church did you go to? And I was like, Oh, you know, it was like this. I, I went to a church like that. Did you, did you listen to the bands like the newsboys and delirious? And I was like, yep. Acquire the fire. Yep. <laughs> YWAM. Yep. <laughs> and, and it was like, Oh, you know, and then just this torrent of needing people need to share their stories. Like it's, it's, um, I shouldn't say everyone, but like so many of us really benefit from the catharsis of mm. being heard and having, Absolutely. having a place to share their story. Cause very few people ask it's, this, it's very politically incorrect to, yeah. um, criticize religion. Uh, unless you're, unless you're like, an ultra left wing person criticizing the evangelical right wing people. It's like, it, it, it's, um, for the most part, people want to be, and I think it's coming from a very good place, very sensitive to people's cultural differences and spiritual beliefs, but something to be said, cause I've just seen it. I've, I've experienced it for being able to rip apart an ideology and the people involved and be like, this is what it was. And this yeah. is what happened to me. And this is how I ended up here. Like there's something so powerfully healing in that, um, regardless of where you might end up afterward. And I feel like I just, I was having conversations with, with so many people in like private. And I was like, wow, like, like you said, there is an, there is this growing niche of people who are experiencing such similar journeys and the fact that we all can connect with each other now if we want you know like mm -hmm. I, I honestly feel like even if there had been um like a recovery groups you might say or or meetups that I could have done with other ex-christians probably for the first few years after I stopped believing in God I would not have wanted anything to do with them I think mm. I think the healing journey is different for everyone like I've I've interacted with people on Twitter who are like you know I I just celebrated one year um not being a Christian anymore and I don't know how I would have gotten here without this support of this community mm. and I think that that's so cool now that that we have that and I also think that there's many people like myself who 
who are going through that journey are not ready to talk about it with anyone yet. Don't want to be involved with groups because they're so group allergic now, Um, which I get. (laughs) I'm still very group allergic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like movement allergic. So it's, it's like, I, I get that, you know, but just if they're, if they're alone one time and they just like want to maybe read something and not talk with anyone, or if they want to, if they do want to find a therapist or they would like to call an anonymous hotline and just vent, you know, like Mm. there are, there, there are ways you can do that. You don't have to join a a, a hashtag and share your story publicly. There's still many ways that you can privately on your own. um, Just know that you're not, you're not alone. There is so Mm. much light at the end of the tunnel that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, um, I don't know if it, it feels really, it just feels really good to, yeah. to have like just a small little sliver role to play in this, in this, uh, I hesitate to call it a movement, but this, um, exodus, if you will, mm. <laughs> of people, people leaving. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary thing for sure, because when you look at the structures that these people are moving from, you know, like you, you think of the things we were taught that were hammered into us that we witnessed when people did leave. We heard what was said. We saw how that was talked about. We, we know what happens if I leave. Oh, I know I'm going to be backslidden. and I'll be lukewarm. I'll be spit out. I'll be going to the pits of hell. There'll be no saving me now that Satan will grab me, that I'll be deceived, that my heart will get hardened. And then I won't even be able to hear God, even if he wanted to say like all these things. And you get alienated from the community. You get turned your back on. I guess it's an interesting dynamic for you is that you'd moved away from your community and went on this in a new place in a sense. Like that's a really, um, it, it would probably been very hard in many cases, but in some cases probably softened the blow to another degree where you weren't in the midst of your, like your small town in Illinois. Well, I guess it's not a small in Illinois, but generally speaking, um, where, you know, everyone knows that you're a Christian and suddenly it's like, Oh, I'm not sure that she is. Oh, well, we can't talk to her anymore. Or we shouldn't be friends with her or we shouldn't like, you know, don't invite her to that. Or like, that's a, you, so you go through these things and to suddenly just have someone go, you're not crazy. You're not alone. This isn't the devil. It's not spiritual attack. It's not God judging you. It's okay. You're doing a really brave thing. I'm really proud of you. Like that just makes me feel so much better. You know, like just to have those kind of um, experiences and those kind of people, it's just a profound, profound thing when you're dealing with deeply traumatizing stuff. Um, It's it's amazing. I think what you're doing is really great. How, How is... How has running Dare to Doubt shifted things for you? Have, have you seen in, in yourself a change in how you're doing life, exploring things, seeing the world? Has it, has it helped you in that way? Because there's something about, for me, I know talking to like hundreds of people a week, I'm like, this does healing work in me, like a lot sometimes. <laughs> um, and so I don't know, in some ways, like people are like, oh, you're so nice to like help people. And I'm like, dude, I'm doing this as medicine. <laughs> like This is helping me as much as it helps anyone else. <laughs> Um, have you found that? Have you found that this um, process of you know writing, putting out resources, helping people has done something in you? Or maybe not. I, I don't know if I'm projecting a bit. But. No, that's a good question. Um, hmm. You know, I I know for sure it has. I'd have to think about um, specific specific ways. Like I know. 
I, I know for me inside, I feel in, cause I've only been doing this really with Dare to Doubt, like I said, for just over a year. Mm. So I still feel like a, very much a newcomer to the space, even though I've not been a Christian in over 12 years. Um, in terms of speaking about it publicly and, and offering support publicly and validation publicly and getting to hear people's stories. Um, I will say that one of the things that I've noticed it's that I don't feel like I had before I started doing Dare to Doubt was, um, I guess just a more uh, personalized appreciation of all the different places that we end up. It's definitely um, been very, I would say I feel more humble um, seeing seeing like, oh, wow, you know, like we really did all end up in different places, which of course I knew, but I didn't really talk with that many people about it. Um, in part because I don't, I don't run into very many, um, Christians in Los Angeles. It's like there, there are absolutely. Um, I've been to some of the churches and, you know, when I was like really trying still to, to keep my faith, but, um, it's not, it's not that common. And I think for me, it's been really helpful for my own growth to interact with people who are still Christians. Actually, mm. I found that, um, and this is kind of surprising, like, even as I'm talking about, it, I'm like realizing it's like, yeah, that actually has been very helpful. Um, interacting with people who do hold, who do still hold Christian beliefs that are maybe different has been, I don't know if I'd say healing necessarily, but um, certainly intriguing and mind opening. Um, it's definitely helped me just more appreciate, like I said, all the different places that we can end up and learning more about what some people call progressive Christianity is mm. interesting. There's, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky because there's the part of me that, um, and I recognize that this could just be an old thinking pattern. That's just still there. Part of the programming, you might say, but part of me still can't help, but think like, like, Oh, you're not a real Christian. Like you're a cherry picker. <laughs> kind of yeah, but you're not reading the Bible properly. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, but what about all the rest of it? So you're focusing on like maybe four chapters worth of verses. If you added all these good parts up together, That's I'm like, funny. what about the rest? Like, is it just a history book to you? Is it, um, I don't know. Like there's still that part of me that just has a hard, hard time. And, you know, I think people have every right to call themselves whatever they want to call yeah. themselves and be. And, and like, I, I would like to give them that respect. You know, I'm not going to tell a friend of mine who, uh, who considers himself a Christian, like, I'm not gonna be like, well, you're not a real Christian. You know, it's like, no, you are a real Christian, but you're definitely not like the type of Christian that I knew. Yeah. Um, and I'm very intrigued by people like that. Mm. Uh, because it is such a foreign, like, I remember when I was still a Christian in LA, I met another fellow Christian who we had a lot in common. Like they, he was like church going, he knew the evangelical lingo, but he lived with his girlfriend and they definitely had sex. And I was like, but, but what about this part? Like, like, and I, I, it was not my place to ask, but I just couldn't help myself. I'd never right. met a Christian like him who thought that sex before marriage was okay. Mm. And, um, it was like better in my mind, it was like better to be gay than it was to be, uh, a straight fornicator. Mm. Um, because like there was a whole God loves gays thing, you know, and there were churches for like, as gay long people, as they don't act but, on it. As long as they don't act on it, of course, right. disclaimer, but it was almost like if they did, 
there was a certain grace because like they were already broken anyway. So right. there was more grace for them. If they did act on it. Whereas for the heterosexual people, who you should just know better. Up, it was like, yeah. It was like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like mm. I'm doing air quotes for this. Right. Yeah. On the um, podcast, this so, is all not where we're at. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> people notice. Um, yeah, so I remember it just kind of blew my mind and it continues to blow my mind to meet other people of mm. varying forms of belief. And I think that it's definitely made me, like I said, I feel more humbled because of it and more self-aware of like, oh yeah, mm. I still have that that critical voice. I still and I and to be able to catch my own fundamentalist thinking is another thing that I've um that I feel has helped me grow, like working in this space has made me more aware, like seeing the things that other people still struggle with has made me more aware of like, oh yeah, I definitely still struggle with that, with very, mm. with like black and white thinking. Like that's I, that's something I try very consciously and I've tried for years now to, um, to, to rewire, but it's still, it's still there. Like it showed up just in my comments, like, okay, but then you're not like, like a real Christian. Like part of me thinks that the best religious people are fundamentalists. Mm. Um, like the best Muslim is a fundamentalist Muslim. The best Christian is a fundamental because they're taking their book fucking seriously yeah. and actually yeah. like doing it. Um, and, and not trying to claim that, Oh, it's a religion of peace or, Oh, it's about Christ. It's like, okay, are you forgetting the moments when Jesus was an asshole, like a racist, sexist asshole? <laughs> like, even if you do try to keep it just about the Jesus story, there's mm -hmm. still holes that a are a lot like, of stuff to okay, figure but what out about this. Yeah. A lot of stuff to figure out. And so, and I'm like, and you know, to be fair to my, to myself and other people who think like this too, it's like okay, maybe you could argue it's still fundamentalist thinking, or maybe you could argue, no, that's just rational. That's just logical. It's mm -hmm. like, they, there is an omission of those dirty parts. Um, how do you explain that? Uh, from a sincere place, not necessarily a fundamentalist, like mm -hmm. you either have to believe it all or you don't believe any of it place, you know? Like it's it's a fine thing that I'm always checking in with myself about like, oh, yeah. am, I, am, I being, am I being fundy now? Like fundamentalist now, or am I, is this, does this feel genuine? And I think a lot of the times it's both, to be honest. Mm. Um, could, could be arguably both. I don't know. I think it's a very personal, personal call. I know for me, when it's uh, accompanied by like a haughty, an inner haughtiness yeah. or uh, an emotional reactiveness, that to me is a red flag of like, oh, I'm probably feeling triggered here. So this is probably more of a fundamentalist-ish thing than a like, calm just reasoning rational thing mm. if that makes sense yeah um so yeah it's maybe more self-aware of things of things like that and uh i feel i found a lot of cool resources that i didn't know about trying to find mm. resources for everybody else um yeah of course so and some of them i've like taken advantage of and some of them i'm like oh that's that's not for me but this could be great for someone else you know um so yeah it's it's like it's cool my favorite part though is kind of like what you were saying is just getting to hear people's stories like yeah. like uh it's a very i don't know about in your experience but i know for me it's a very um understandably very a, a very privately rewarding uh space to be in you know like i like there's so many people that will um dm me messages privately way more than than people comment publicly and and of course because mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't ready to come out yet yeah um as a doubter or someone who's who's left completely and so those messages just mean 
the world to me when people feel like they've found a safe place to to share what they're going through like that that to me is the is my favorite part just getting to learn about people from all different faith backgrounds um sharing these similar arcs like i love our differences and i love i i i love division i love separateness i love uniqueness but it, I also this work has also allowed me to more appreciate the similarity as well. Like we, yeah. we all like in every religious coming out memoir that I've read, whether it's someone coming from like a Jehovah's Witness background or uh, like a Sharia Islamic background, it's like I relate to this because mm. the struggle is so similar, even though we have such different different things um yeah like i just have you seen that i just watched that netflix mini series on orthodox it's amazing it? isn't it yeah yeah it's i really so i really good. appreciate it and like i i've i've heard from some of the people who who worked on the project and work with um real life ex-hasidic jews you know there's there's there are inconsistencies there mm -hmm. but me it's the emotional arc like the scene when she's at the nightclub for the first time i was fighting tears because i was like oh i remember what that's like to come from such a shelter yeah. i wasn't sheltered like that like that is an ultra insular that's next community. level yeah yeah that's next level um but like i so could relate to like what it was like to wear lipstick for the first time and wear like something that you would not have worn and feeling like a fish out of water being like i guess this is how i'm supposed to dance and like trying to like and your body's not your body you're so disembodied yeah. because you were never allowed to move that way and just things like that are i find are just um just kind of universal or like for, yeah. for so many people it is it's, it's really weird that you can watch these things and go huh that isn't what i did but that's what i did like it's like from like the most bizarre extreme kind of scenarios you can watch like um mm -hmm. my wife and i just watched um there's like a a remake a dramatization of waco i don't know if you've seen this it's fantastic yes so good um, and again, like you can say what you want about the different spins and things they're trying to create, but like, there's so much in me. I'm like, Oh, I'd love to be a part of a cult. Like <laughs> there's something on me. I'm like, I want to belong. I want to, I want to have that depth of relationship and community. I'm an introvert as well. I don't want to be around anyone for more than like two hours a day tops. So like, I also don't want to be, but like there's something in me that's like, Oh, I love this. And then I'm like, Oh, that's really toxic. And it's like, Oh, how do they get away? How do they do that? But then the whole thing all the time, I'm like, I can see why I buy into parts of this. I can see why I'm susceptible to components of this that exist in the church. I can't, I, I can totally see how easily I fell into this trap because it's, it's in me. I want this. I want to belong. I want to believe something. I want to be a part of something. I want to have a line in the sand where I can go, Oh, I'm in and you're not. I, that makes me feel yeah. good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. And, and you see it in everything. You see the uh, wild west country is an amazing documentary. If you haven't seen that Netflix, best documentary i've ever seen docuseries um it's about the uh cult that started up in oregon um yes. holy crap like yes. that was the best tv i've ever seen in my life like i watched my friends in like one go like he came up from london to spend quality time catching up and we watched like six hours of tv in one go and then we're like oh yeah okay let's hang out because that was so freaking good but again you start watching it and you're like i'd like to be part of this community I love it. This is great. And you can go, yeah, there's so many of these interesting components that are similar. And then you go, whoa, that took a spin. Like, 
whoa. Yeah. Um, but all these ups and downs, people coming out, people going in, I can resonate with like so much of it. Like it's really, yeah. even reading, um, I, I mention this all the time, uh, like because I'm re- recording so many podcasts in one week, like the last like three podcasts, I've mentioned the same two things because I read books or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I was thinking recently about Megan Phelps's uh, story, you know, Unfollow. Um, one of my favorite like coming out books it really is fascinating because i freaking love the westboro baptist churches i'm reading through i'm like i love these people they're great people and i'm like what has she done in my head this is some george R. R. martin shit she's got me liking the bad guys like you know what i mean like i'm like what is happening um and you can't you can't demonize the group anymore you go gosh these are people that love their families they're 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 the good guys in their life and they really think they're doing the right thing. And like, like you're saying, right, you can't really fault them because they believe the stuff I used to believe, but they actually do it, right? I mean, like, I actually believe that yeah. stuff. I believe people were going to hell. I, I didn't go and, like, yell at them on the sidewalk, say, freaking hell, man, save yourself. Them, I'm I like, got it. Yeah. Um, and, and you look at these things, it's just astonishing because I'm like, I have not had the life that she has had by any shape or imagination. But I've when you read about her rejection, I'm like, oh, I felt that rejection. I know what it's like for people to completely bail on me. And spiritual mothers and fathers, best friends, you know, people I've been with for 20 years, you know, like, I'm done. Walk away overnight, immediately, I'm done. And you're like, oh, yes, Megan, I understand that on some level. Not the same, but I, I understand. And it's it's really cathartic going through these reading these experiences and if you can give someone that experience give that experience of like i know i know i've had no idea what you've been through and at the same time i've been through this on some level and you're not alone like it's a powerful powerful experience so what are your top uh coming out stories right so you've you've read a few books and stuff i I, i'm always on the hunt for better ones i know people listen to this podcast are for on the hunt for better ones so what are your top ones that you recommend yeah, so that's definitely one of the top ones. Um, I did, I do book giveaways um, with Dare to Doubt. Like every, I, I'm, I haven't done one since the quarantine began, um, and I'm about to do one in June, so next month. Um, and I've gotten to to read so many, so many good ones. I guess, um, let's see, I'll try to keep it down to three that stand out. So one of them's kind of cheating because it's an anthology. So it has multiple nice. stories. It's called Empty the Pews. Okay. Um, have you read it? No, I haven't. Empty the Pews. It's, um, so it's edited by Chrissy Stroop and Lauren O'Neill. Um, both of them are very active in the, the Twitter ex-believer space. Mm-hmm. And they co-edited this anthology of people who have left the church, um, hence the name Empty the Pews. Uh, and they really endeavored to, to make, to, to, to publish the stories from a very diverse, um, cast of, of real people, you might say. They really wanted to emphasize, uh, they wanted, they wanted to highlight the stories from people of color who have left, um, cause so much of evangelicalism is very white. Um, mm-hmm. they really wanted to be inclusive of, uh, stories from the LGBTQ community. Um, and it's just, it's like chicken soup for the ex-Christian soul is what I said in the blurb <laughs> that, that I, that I did for the book. So it really is. It's, it's, um, if you just want like little nutshell stories of people's, how they came to doubt and or mm-hmm. leave like their faith, empty the pews is a great start. Awesome. Um, 
uh, especially for those those who have a Christian background. Um, yeah. And then Megan Phelps Roper's Unfollow, I'd say, is profound for a number of reasons. Um, a, her journey is so especially unique to go from being one of one of the most uh, infamous hate groups mm -hmm. uh, that is also a religious organization, it's the Westboro Baptist Church, to um, becoming one of the most outspoken advocates for for critical thinking and leaving groupthink and and uh, rejecting tribalism. Like it's been, I, I remember one of the probably the thing that that impacted me the most from her story was um, how she was able to overlay what she learned from the process of leaving Westboro to the red flags she's seeing in society in general, mm. um, specifically with politics. Uh, I have a hard time, to be honest, with um, outrage culture and political this and that mm -hmm. uh, because it feels very familiar to me. It feels mm -hmm. a lot like um, like the type of Christianity that I used to practice where it's very black and white. Like yeah. if you're not with us, you're against us. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're part of the problem. Mm -hmm. There's And it's unsafe to ask a question because if you're just even just asking a question, it's like you just get so much anger and judgment thrown your way um, just for maybe presenting a different point of view or wanting to understand more. So I think she really touched on something that I think is super, super relevant, whether you're from a religious background or not, so much can be learned from reading Unfollow that is immediately applicable, I guarantee you, to your life and social circle yeah. today. So that's that's one of the things that I took from it. Um, another one that I, this is just one that, that uh, that's just in the forefront of my mind. There's so many, it's really hard for me to I narrow know. Down, uh, Troublemaker by Leah Remy. Um, she's she's a, an ex Scientologist. She hosts the A and E series um, Scientology and the Aftermath. And reading her book, so she's also an actress. Mm -hmm. She she was like she's a most known for being a comedian. Um, but yeah, she 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 joined the church of Scientology with her mom when her mom joined when she was a teenager and she didn't leave until well into adulthood. Um, and it's like her journey. I, I feel like I especially related to, cause there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of the hall beyond that. Uh, Leah's story. It was just so interesting to me to see Scientology's version of mm -hmm. what I grew up with, with like, um, they might call it auditing. We might call it confession. Um, you know, they might call it like, I, I forget the terms because there's definitely like a very hierarchical terminology within the yeah. church of Scientology, a very specific lingo they use. And I don't want to misquote it, but I remember that there was something they were, she was talking about where I was like, that sounds like an accountability group where it's like love disguising like condemnation and shame mm -hmm. and it's like whew, like it, it, I wept reading that book and it's also wow. I listen to it mostly in audiobook it's a very entertaining audiobook she narrates it um oh good I've got yeah, some Kindle uh, or audible uh, credits so I might pick that one up it's a fun one like as far as audiobooks go like some audiobooks it's like ah should have read that this is one that like really you, you listens well as an audiobook Troublemaker by Leah Remini Unfollowed by Megan Phelps Roper and Empty the Pews, uh, co-edited by Chrissy Stroop and Lauren O'Neill. Those I would say are my three um, shout outs that are coming to my mind. For right. top, where to top for this moment. <laughs> for this moment, for this yeah. moment. But there's so many more guys, so many more. <laughs> do, do you have like a, so do you have like a list of like books and stuff like that on Dare to Doubt? You know, like there are, like 
some. There are some. I need to organize them a little better so they're easier to find at a glance. But um, I have a page called Resources by Belief System, where if you okay. go to your your belief system background, you'll find some uh, memoirs or movies or documentaries um, about other people who have also left that similar background. I should start a page, though, where it's just like just a list of... Uh, favorites or of, or of just the ones that I've done for book giveaways. Like I was doing, I was trying to do like every month doing a book giveaway, um, highlighting someone's story. And the next one I'm actually really excited to do. Um, it's called unveiled how Western liberals empower radical Islam. And it's by mm. Yasmin Mohammed and it is powerful guy. Like it's, it's like, um, it's uh, she's got a lot to say and it needs to be heard. Um, nice. So that's going to be a giveaway in June, assuming COVID hasn't ruined the mail completely. And I can get the signed book from her in time <laughs> because funny. this, uh, this, this coronavirus situation has slowed, has altered the mail and she's shipping it from to me from Canada. So oh, wow. once I get yeah. that, I'll announce it publicly. I don't care if it's broadcast here in this podcast, um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll be on the lookout for that for a giveaway for unveiled. And again, another incredible example of finding um, similar arcs of growth from someone with a completely different background mm. uh, than, than, and I think we all have, I, I, I always say, I feel like, uh, I feel like ex-believers have it, have it tough, but in particular, I feel like right now the way the world is, ex-Muslims have it just, they just, I just feel like they have it extra tough because yeah. it's, um, I mean, apostasy is punishable by death. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, and they, and then of course it's really un PC to criticize Islam. Yeah. Uh, so I think that ex-Muslims who are vocal about it are just some of the bravest people that I've been very privileged Absolutely. to make acquaintances with since I've started Dare to Doubt. Um, and I have so much extra respect for the things that they have to deal with on top of the things that every one of us has to deal with. Yeah. So, yeah. no, but most yeah. of us aren't going to get literally lynched. You know, I mean, that's a plus of deconstructing as a Christian in the West. Yeah. It's very unlikely. Yeah. Most of us don't have to worry if our dad is going to strangle us. Yeah. I mean, know, even Megan Phelps, you know, it's like, let us help you move out. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're done. Yeah. You're like, you're like, you're dead to us, but help you move out and we're not going to kill you you know unbelievable yeah it's just yeah, yeah can't even imagine also if people want to um because we need to wrap up for time i, I know you're um one down but um oh yeah how can people connect with you how can people um keep tracking with what you're doing um you've obviously got dare to doubt on instagram is that your kind of like main kind of like window into what you're doing Yes. So for this, for this type of stuff, I, uh, at dare to doubt, um, is, uh, my Instagram and Twitter handle, uh, and, uh, my personal handles for my personal handle for Instagram is Alice, A-L-I-C-E, Gretchen, G-R-E, C as in cat, Z as in zebra, Y and as in Nancy. It's just my full name, no underscores or anything. Um, and uh, people definitely message me on my personal account with their, um, I would say, more dare to doubtish stories. And I don't mind. I, I'm, I'm honored just to read people's stories however I get them. However, I will say I've been making a conscious effort to um, keep my, my own personal feeds of what I see separate because it's, it's, it's a, as we were talking about earlier, it's very gratifying and privileged mm -hmm. work 
but it can get to be a lot. And so I'm finding that I, it helps me to keep them separate uh, sometimes. And I have my, my dare to doubt Twitter feed, my Alice Gretchen Twitter feed. It's very different. Um, My personal stuff is going to be more, uh, more of like, acting or Dungeons and Dragons related or just my life, my cat, my friends, whatever. Um, whereas Dare to Doubt will be a lot more uh, doubting and formally religious centered. Mm-hmm. So um, pending what type of there stuff you, you want, people can pick. Like, follow me there or follow <laughs> Yeah, yeah, people That's can awesome. pick. Um, I need to have a personal yeah. Instagram, I think. I, I I hate Facebook with a passion. I've just done with it. Everything me falls too. from Instagram to Facebook. <laughs> but uh but I, I still have like a big hold on from there from, and they're very conservative on the whole. They're very, um, generally speaking, most of them are conventional Christians that still follow me for some reason. Um, and so I like automatically forward my Instagram there. Instagram is the only place I kind of like consume, but even then I'm like, Oh, it just tires me out. I try not to go on there at all anymore. Um, but like, I do like the idea of how we have the personal. It's interesting. Yeah. Good thoughts. <laughs> awesome. I, I find it very helpful, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I just don't know if I need more nice. consumption. <laughs> Maybe I should just avoid entirely. <laughs> I struggle to switch off as it yeah. is probably no, another That's p- the layer. fair point. I, it, yeah, it's like another thing to check. Um, yeah, it's like you, you, you pick your battle. Like if it feels worse to you to have another thing to check or does it, excuse me, does it feel worse to you to, um, that's your only source and you have to see it all and you have to weed through what's like yeah. actually interesting and I want to take my mind off things and like what's, oh no, this is this is like um, work passion related and I really yeah. need to get back to this person, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know, but that's the beauty of the world we live in today. We can have a dozen different accounts for all the different things we're interested in if we want. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find it overwhelming? One last, uh, we can finish, we should finish, we should finish. But last question, because <laughs> I'm really fascinated by this yeah. dynamic. Do you find it overwhelming? Like I find for me, just hearing stories and and uh, and talking to people through their processes and, and trying to help people that are in a place where they are often not really able to process stuff yet. They're still very early infancy. They're struggling to kind of process what's happening. Their world's falling apart around them. It's really like tiring to me a lot of the time. Like I love every second of it and I would wake up in the morning excited to do it. But like, I also find at times I stop and like I'm sitting watching TV with my wife and I'm like, holy shit, I am wrecked from that. Like emotionally just wrecked. And I'm not really aware of it until I've had a bit of time for it to settle. Do you find that? Like, cause it is, a, it's an intense thing to be doing. It's not, you know, maybe uh, I'm sure there's different intensities to acting, to being an accountant, to do whatever, but there's something about therapy, hearing people's painful stories, that kind of world, even being a pastor, I'm sure it can be very draining, but that world of it, yeah. it's intense. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you navigate that for yourself? Oh man, you know, to be honest, I think I'm still finding the balance of that. I, I, unfor- I wish I could say that I read every single message that I get. Um, I, I don't uh i i try you know and i if it's really i i would just assume if it's really important someone really needs help they would try messaging me through more than one avenue i would hope um but it's a i i do have to limit how much time i spend reading it because it it does get um it can be emotionally draining i'm still learning how like i don't know how therapists do it 
you know, or people who, who like, that's like what they do all the time. And it's hardly ever like fun anecdotal stories of like, Oh yeah. Remember that pastor? It's like, it's like really much more intense stuff to to go through than just that. Um, I know sometimes it can definitely be hard for me to switch the switch off. And then it can also be equally hard for me to switch it back on again. Like right now I've been in Mm. off because I've been focusing on other things that I, that I've had to give my attention to. Um, but I'm gearing up mentally to go back into posting more dare to doubt content later on this week. And, you know, when I do, I know I anticipate there's an influx more of interaction and, and like, I am grateful and so happy to do it. Um, I, I love it. It can like make, make my day, you know, but I also have to be mindful of knowing like, okay, I've, I've had enough for today. I need to just not check anymore or I can't respond to this person mm-hmm. again. Uh, like I, at that point, it's like, okay, like, um, I guess, I guess in my mind, and I haven't said this to anyone, but what I think is like, Ooh, I really, it sounds like they need an ongoing therapist. Like this isn't something I can. I I said to people regularly. (laughs) (laughs) I should, I should start doing it because it's like, I'm not qualified, you know, put it on yourself rather than them. But like, I think a lot of people need to hear that and go, look, there's, there's a real thing called religious trauma. And like a lot of people really benefit from seeing a professional and helping them. And there's no shame in that. It's not really a stigma in our society as much anymore. And I'm not one of those people. Like I really am not. I'd love to talk with you generally about this stuff, but I can't go into that depth. Like that's a good hard boundary to have as soon as people. And also like, dude, you do not want that on you. Right. I mean, like, you want to, the last thing you want is for them to be like, for you to take that on yourself and for you not to be able to help them properly. You know, like that would be um, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Or or make it worse somehow, you know, Mm. like give unqualified advice or so. It's like, Oh no, like I need to hear and affirm whatever you're going through. But like I do that, that's, that's encouraging to hear. Like I do need to be more, um, comfortable and liberal with just saying, Hey, you know what? Like this sounds, I I don't feel like I'm qualified to give any insight on this, but go to this resource site. And that's what it's there for is to help you find someone who is, um, or even just a peer group. That's a little more informed about your specific background. Because like I said, I, I, um, and there are definitely other, other organizations and groups that do this, but a lot of them are very faith background specific. Um, whereas, uh, dare to doubt is more broad to different backgrounds. And because yeah. of that, I have people from different backgrounds, but I don't ever men. I don't know what that's like. You guys have a whole different language and yeah, there's some overlap, but like, I don't want to say something that, uh, is not helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. that someone else who knows you, who knows your, your background better will be able to better, better help. Yeah. So no, that's yeah. really good. And you did, you oh, mentioned, no. yeah. Oh no, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to, one last question. Um, Cause I'm sure this is probably something that you can help with resource wise. You mentioned um, secular therapists, people that are kind of a bit more disconnected from faith. Is that part of the dare to doubt kind of remit? You've kind of got people that you can point to or at least movements or, or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's one of the things that I'm most excited to be able to have on the website. There's this, um, there's this organization called the Secular Therapy Project, and it's run by the folks at Recovering from Religion. 
Right. Um, if you go to secular ther secular therapy or seculartherapyproject.org, you can type in your zip code and it'll it'll pull up um, secular therapists in your area. And the really cool part about the internet is even if there's not one in your area, most therapists will be willing to see clients by Online. by Zoom or Skype or how, however like however it is virtually. So um, yeah, that's one of the resources that I was personally most. It's like one of the first things I put on there. You can yeah. find it on the mental health page of Dare to Doubt, um, right. daretodoubt.org. And uh, yeah, the Secular Therapy Project is strictly for secular therapists. And they do have a screening process where they try to vet the therapists that they're willing to list. Um, awesome. I'm surprised at how many therapists have reached out to me to be added as a resource on my site that when I dig into their background um, and their site, I'm like, Oh, like, like, and again, maybe this is me just still having residual fundamentalist mm -hmm. thinking, but I, but part of me has been very surprised be like, Oh, whoa, you're still like, you seem super Christian. Like it's mm -hmm. all over your about page. It's all over this. And you, yet you specialize in religious trauma. Um, that's great for the people that are maybe in their middle place. Um, yeah. I've yeah in that middle place, but that's not, uh, I, I put on a few of those on, um, like, so I have a quiz on Dare to Doubt. Like when you just go to the website, it'll be a little pop-up or you can link to it um, from the main, main menu, but there's a quiz for what resources are right for you because I find resource sites very overwhelming and I yeah, absolutely. like, let me try to direct people. Um, and I, one of the first questions that I ask on the quiz is, are you looking for strictly secular resources or are you looking for faith-friendly resources? Right. And if they select faith-friendly resources, whatever page they end up on pending their, the answers to their other questions, such as faith background, et cetera, mm. that will list some more faith friendly resources yeah. like the therapists who are Christians and still specialize in religious trauma. But yeah. I will say that's not something that I think I've put on the main pages. I think you would have to get to that from the quiz it's because like I said, I think there already is a lot of support for believers mm -hmm. who are, who are, deconstructing an aspect of faith. And I think there's just less support and voice for people who have left it completely. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's my way of trying to like cater to both while still being true to what I intended to create and what I, what I feel I'm here to offer. That's um, really yeah. so good to know. Cause I, I really need that as a, as a place to, cause that's my next thing. As soon as I'm like, Hey, you need therapy. They go, okay, yeah. where? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, good yeah. luck, you know, like <laughs> avoid Christians if you can. Uh, but people that are too secular might try and drag you out of your faith, kick and screaming. If you're not ready, I don't want to push you to do that. Yeah. Like, but I want people that are aware of this world and are going, I'm going to work with really strong. I'm going to take you on the journey that you need to go on. So like to be able to find people that are willing to do that without some major agenda either way. And like, that's just exciting. Um, so yeah, yeah, awesome. Alice, thank you so, so, so much. Honestly, I really appreciate you making time. I appreciate you answering my Instagram message. You know, now I know that you don't read them all. I'm like, yes, nailed it. Um, and so, yeah, no, thank oh, you thank for making the time. Thank you so much for reaching out. I try to read them. Yes, yeah. yes, thank you for having me. You know, I was excited. I, I, I do enjoy talking about this stuff and just uh, uh, spreading the secular word of, of just letting people know, like, there is, there is help out there. And so... Mm. Anytime I get a chance to do that, I'm very grateful. And thank you so yeah. much. I know it's super late where you are. So I really appreciate oh, you working it. with the time difference and all that. <laughs> it's fine. No, thank you for what yeah. you're doing. It's amazing. I honestly think it's essential. I'm really excited to point more people to you. 
Um, I'll give you a big plug after this and make sure all the links are in the show notes and stuff. And I'll, I'll let you know when it drops. It'll probably be a couple of weeks now. I'm kind of a little ahead of myself. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, have a good evening. Yeah. Thanks. You all too. Right. Bye. Bye, Phil. <laughs> All right, so that was Alice Gretchen. Absolutely loved that. Gretchen is spelled G-R-E-C-Z-Y-N for those that are uh, looking it up online and aren't going to use the show notes. Um, you might have a long hunt otherwise. Um, I would encourage you to check out her stuff if, if a lot of what she was saying really clicked with you. Um, her website is a great resource, daretodoubt.org. Her Instagram is fantastic. Uh, it's just dare to doubt. Um, she's obviously also on Instagram as Alice Gretchen. If you want to follow her personally, um, her Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also the resource that she mentioned at the end, um, the Secular Therapy Project, um, is a great resource for um, specifically probably people in America right now. There's not that much around the world um, outside of America. Um, but if you're looking for therapy that is going to help you in your process of um, recovering from uh, religion, from maybe religious trauma, uh, something along those lines, um, I would encourage you to check out seculartherapy.org. It's, it's a great resource um, from what I've been able to see um, since having our chat. I, I had a quick look in it and it does look very, very helpful. Um, that's all for this uh, episode. Um, as always, the Grace Course, you can head over there and support what I'm doing. There's loads of free um, videos, resources and teachings and stuff. Um, the Deconstruction Network, if you're looking to connect with other people that are going through deconstruction in your local area, it's a great way to find um, well over, I don't know, 1,200 people or so now on the map around the world. Um, you can put in your location and find if there's anyone near you and send them a message and try and connect. Um, and we're also doing research on people that are deconstructing to try and create a new narrative about what this group of people are like and who they are, what they act like, what they believe um so we can kind of try and change a lot of the the negative narrative about this group of people um but that's all for now i'll see you in the next episode